0: Please do take out your Bibles once again and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Let's now ask for God's help as we look to His Word. Heavenly Father, we've heard the saying that familiarity breeds contempt. But, O Father, help us in being familiar with this story of the Incarnation, this story of Jesus coming to save us. Father, may our familiarity spur us on to grow in our understanding, to grow in our appreciation, to see indeed what manner of love that you have for us in sending a Savior. So Father, be pleased to open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word. As we gather on this Lord's Day, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What's on your bucket list? Now, I didn't grow up knowing that expression. I heard it about a decade ago, but I kind of hear it all the time. Uh, Now, what is a bucket list? Well, it's a list of the experiences or achievements that a person hopes to have or accomplish during their life- lifetime. A bucket list is an itemized list of goals people want to accomplish before they kick the bucket or die. So, do you have a bucket list? I mean, you probably may not have it written out, but most of us have a bucket list, at least in our mind, right? Things we want to do, things we want to see, people we want to meet, what we want to accomplish, experiences we want to have. So what's on your bucket list? You know, we're getting ready for the new year and people make New Year's resolutions. But here at the end of the year, it's kind of like a time to look back at your bucket list, maybe. So what's on your bucket list? Is it trivial Or is it important? Is it things that will not stand the test of time or or things that are lasting? Are they things that are nice to have or things that you've got to have? Now in our text today, there's an item on a bucket list for which someone has been waiting. It's also an item that has been promised to be given. And it's an item that indeed is received. Well, we're finishing our mini-series within our series looking at the four songs of the Incarnation. It's that CD with four tracks. It's that playlist with four songs. Two before the birth of Jesus and two after the birth of Jesus. Now, remember, we were moving through Luke, but we skipped over basically Luke 1 and 2 for the most part. And now we've come back and we've seen the prelude and the song by Mary and the song by Zechariah and the song by the angels and today the song by Simeon. The Nunc Dimittis, another Latin title based on the translation of the Bible, the Vulgate. It's the first words, Nunc Dimittis, now you are dismissing. That's the opening line of the song, Simeon will say, Now are, you are dismissing. Now, why is it important to listen to this song? I mean, why not, why, why not just skip it? You know, say, Hey, I like the Gloria. You know, I even like the Magnificat. But Simeon, who's Simeon? You know, Simeon doesn't even show up in the Bible except here. What? Why listen to this song? Why not press, press skip? Let's get on to something more familiar. Well, it's important because the central message of this song is this. Jesus Christ has come to save his people. And those people who have seen Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith are prepared to die. Anyone, young or old, who has not seen Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith is not ready to die at all. Now let's listen to the song Simeon sings. I want to begin just by reading the the song itself, verses 29 through 32 of Luke 2. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That's the song itself. Well, Let's listen to the song again, this time in its surrounding context. That is what precedes it and what follows. Join with me as I read beginning in verse 21 through verse 38. And at the end of eight days, when he, that is Jesus, was circumcised, is both a blessing and a warning. We'll see Simeon proclaim a blessing to God. Simeon blesses God, but also when he blesses Mary, he issues a warning, a warning to all who will hear, a warning to all who will read let's think for a moment about the setting for the song jesus is presented at the temple and we see that in verses 21 through 24 circumcised on the eighth day 33 more days go and on day 40 he's presented he's presented in the temple he's dedicated to the lord and there's an offering made it's going to be as you will read uh birds instead of lambs you see Jesus' humility consists that he, he didn't grow up, as it were, in the wealthy. He certainly, he didn't grow up in the middle class. He really grew up in the lower class, if not poor. They didn't have the resources to provide a lamb for the sacrifice. They only had birds. The lamb, of course, would come later, wouldn't it? When Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be sacrificed his poverty here is the humiliation once again of the incarnation it's a small sacrifice around the time of his birth it's a great sacrifice at the time of his death well who sings this song Simeon notice the focus is not on Simeon's age he is old but rather on his character he's righteous and devout and what was he doing in a word Simeon was doing what I think not many of us like doing I don't like doing waiting waiting what's he doing he's waiting for the consolation of Israel waiting for what Isaiah had promised comfort, comfort, as we read in Isaiah 40. He's waiting. I mean, you could think of the Messiah, a name for the Messiah is the consolation of Israel. The hope that God would come to rescue and comfort his people. Remember, Israel as a nation groaned in bondage when they were in Egypt. They wept when they were in exile in Babylon and Assyria. And they were oppressed and are oppressed under Roman occupation. Simeon is waiting. And he's just not waiting in general. He's he's waiting patiently and prayerfully. And by the way, did you hear it? the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke likes to emphasize the person and work of the Holy Spirit with John the Baptist, with Jesus, and, and here it is with Simeon too. This powerful anointing and presence. And Simeon doesn't just get the general promise that, say, Isaiah reveals about the Messiah will come, the 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 servant will come. Simeon gets a special promise that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It's on his bucket list. But he didn't put it on his bucket list. It was put on his bucket list that he would see the Lord's Christ before he died. Now, Simeon lives in the hope of the fulfillment of God's promises. He, he looks to God, he, he doesn't look to his circumstances. Remember Malachi, his prophecy kind of closed God's speaking to the people. And about 400 years went by before that last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist began to speak and began to make known what God was up to. So, in that period of silence, Simeon lives in hope. He looks to God. He doesn't look to his circumstances. And when he sees Jesus, when that baby is brought into the temple and he is in the temple, he can now die in peace. He can rest in peace. Beginning in verse 28. He took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, "And I think there's two blessings we see in this song. Uh, the first one is in verses 28 and 30. He addresses Lord. The idea is you are a sovereign master, and I, Simeon, am your servant. And again, why is this called Nunc Dimittis? Is it because it wants us to study Latin?" No, it's, it's just reminding now you are dismissing. At this time, at this moment, at this point in history, now, it's emphatic, now. Not last week, not next week, but now. It's this decisive turning point not only in Simeon's life, he can now rest in peace. It's It's the turning point in the history of salvation. He speaks of Lord, and the word is unusual it it speaks of a despot an absolute authority and because the lord is dismissing him the lord has given him this this blessing of seeing the christ the promised one he can die in peace depart in peace he's no fear in death it's the line from in christ alone No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. No fear in death. And that's Simeon. And did you notice, according to your word, according to your word, everything is based on what God has said, what he has promised. Simeon, in this moment, sees salvation because he... Sees Jesus. In other words, Jesus is not just the way to salvation. Jesus Himself is salvation. That's why one of the reasons we call ourselves grace and peace, because for the grace of God has appeared. Jesus has appeared. For He Himself is our peace. Jesus doesn't just bring grace and peace, He Himself is grace and peace. Jesus doesn't just save, He is salvation one of the things that's so unique about christianity it's salvation is a person it's not a it's not a formula it's not a list of things to do it's a person he says i have seen salvation i've i've seen jesus did you notice the sovereignty of god here sovereignty of God not just in creation of course but in bringing Jesus and Simeon together right God is orchestrating things for his purposes you think your life doesn't matter you bet it matters you think God can't be concerned about the particular details of your life of course he cares of course he knows God has made the arrangements. And again, the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, not just for Simeon, but for anyone. It's only by the Holy Spirit that, that people can recognize Jesus as the Christ. The Holy Spirit has to be at work to open eyes. Jesus makes that very clear when he talks to Israel's teacher Nicodemus in John 3. It's a powerful, mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. And we we are privileged to see this work on the pages here. But there's another blessing. And that continues in verse 31 and 32. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. All peoples. All peoples, Jew and Gentile. One of the reasons why we, we had that as our, our prayer, our call to worship, this idea that of all peoples, Jew and Gentile, it's a major theme that you'll see unfolding in Luke. That the gospel corporately unites people that look different, that smell different, that speak different, that have different bank accounts and different occupations and different histories all peoples. And and again, here's the light. Images of light and light for two purposes, for revelation to the Gentiles, for those who did not grow up under the law of Moses and under what God had already ve- revealed. They've got to hear it as it were from the beginning. It's revelation. That God's salv- saving purposes include them all nations, but it's also light for the glory to your people Israel. That that Israel, salvation for the world is coming through you. It's, it's humbling, or it should be, to Israel, not arrogant, that, oh God, you have chosen us to be a blessing to the world. It's the promise to Abraham that God would bless Abraham. Why? So Abraham could be a blessing to others. And how did Mary and Joseph respond? With marveling they they wonder they marveled at what was said about their son they don't know everything yet but they know he's special was it the angels announcement was it the shepherds something is special about our son now Simeon's song to God is one in which he blesses God and in his speech To Mary that follows is one that blesses Mary but warns us. Now let's listen to what he said. So we've moved on from Simeon's song now to Simeon's speech, to Mary that follows. And Simeon blessed them, we read in verse 34, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed. It's not going to be all joy. You see, Luke is honest about the tension and what will happen in the life of Jesus. Jesus, as it were, has come to save. But as the gospel unfolds, we see, as it were, Jesus himself is not saved from death. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It's important to be honest about Christianity, right? It's not just evangelism, it's discipleship. it's, It's not without pain. Did we not sing something recently, just a moment ago, about this road that's paved with lavish grace, right? But what else was it described? Pain and trials, right? Paved with lavish grace, but there's pain and trials as well. Well, what does Simeon, what does Luke say about Jesus here? At least three things. First, Jesus is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel. Now, there's some debate as to whether this is one group or two groups of people. If it's, if it's one group, it's that it's people that were, were humbled in repentance will then rise. But I happen to agree with others that believe it's two groups. That there will be many who reject Jesus, will fall. But there will also be many who receive Jesus, who will rise. Those who fall, it's the judgment of the haughty and the arrogant. And we see that earlier in Mary's Magnificat, right? What God will do. He'll lift up the humble and he'll bring down the proud. But we also heard words that, The humble and the meek will rise. James and Peter pick up on that, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not only is Jesus appointed for the falling and rising, but Jesus is appointed for a sign, to be a sign that is opposed then and now. And the fact that Jesus will will face opposition to the point of arrest, trial, crucifixion, preceding that, of course, betrayal, abandonment, it's going to affect Mary, his mother. It will bring grief and sorrow to his mother. You see, Mary's got the joy of being chosen to be the earthly mother Of the eternal Son of God, but she's also got the grief and sorrow that will happen. And 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 Simeon with Luke's emphasis, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And thirdly, he's appointed in that he will reveal the thoughts of the heart. In other words, what is hidden will be revealed. You see, a person's response to the person and work of Jesus shows what their heart is really like before God. And we will see this over and over and over again in Luke. Sometimes this is overused. Sometimes it doesn't apply. But you could really say that Jesus is a litmus test. Someone's response to Jesus shows who they are. Jesus Though he unites people of all creeds and colors and races and economic values and backgrounds, he unites. We also know Jesus divides. He divides. It's the continental divide. Kids, have you ever been in the car driving and you see a sign that says um, continental divide, usually elevation, 2,821 feet, right? Right? You know what the continental divide is? Is it the middle of the continent? No. It has to do with where does the rain go that falls? If it rains on this side, it goes this way. And if it rains on that side, it goes that way. Jesus is kind of like a continental divide. He's the word of God incarnate in the flesh that exposes the heart's The letter, the author to the letter to the Hebrews says what the the word of God is living and active. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is living and active and exposes hearts. You see, people can reject Jesus, can resist him, oppose him. And why do they do that? They believe Jesus is a threat and he should be opposed. Or people receive and welcome Jesus. They believe he is the savior that they most desperately need, and they find refuge in him. Now, why does Luke include this here? Why would he want to include this as part of his narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus? Remember, Luke's purpose, all the way back in the first few verses, he wants his readers to come to faith in Jesus and have certainty about what they've been taught. Luke wants his, his readers to be not those who fall, but those who rise. One commentator in looking at this passage says this, and it's almost, it seems to me that it's autobiographical. It's, it's a word to himself as he's looking at this passage, and he says this, Those who imagine themselves to be strong and high, who rely on their own merit and power, will come to woeful ruin and undoing. Because in their pride, they do not realize their own need and doom and do not take refuge in Christ. But the humble ones, those who bend low at his feet, with confession of sin and faith in him, will be raised up by his mighty arm to eternal life. As I look at these words, and I hope as you look at these words, we're reminded again that God opposes the proud. And if you're like me, you don't have to look through a window to see pride, you only have to look in a mirror. That's really bad news. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace, He gives grace to the humble. He gives it. You don't earn it, merit it. He, he gives it. Because it's the humble who know their need. It's the humble who cry out in desperation for help. Jesus is in the temple with his parents and Simeon, but also there's Anna. Simeon is a man of faith and, and and Anna is a woman of faith and a woman of worship. And isn't it just like Luke, who likes to put pairs? There's a man and there's a woman. There's Simeon and there's Anna. And who are they? They're the believing remnant of Israel. They've kept the faith. They've kept the faith. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel and Israel. Anna is speaking to others, right? She's speaking to others about Jesus. Those people were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Both Simeon and Anna see with their own eyes the advent of God's redemptive intervention in the world. In addition to bucket lists that I learned about a decade ago, I also learned the word intervention. Intervention. Especially like if there's trouble, there's got to be an intervention, right? Jesus is the intervention. He comes for us and our salvation. You see, Simeon and Anna together show us what it means to believe, and this is important. Waiting in faith for God to do what he has promised and worshiping the God who does what he says he will do. Waiting and worshiping. Waiting and worshiping. Now in this narrative account of Jesus being presented in the temple, we've heard now this fourth song of the incarnation being played. And it's still being played. And we still are called to listen. So why is it important to continue to listen to this song over and over and over again? A couple reasons. The song reminds us that there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. He's the promised child. He's the Messiah who represents God's coming salvation to Israel and the nations. And he will divide Israel and indeed the whole world into two groups. There's no neutrality. I think it was, I just read this the other day that somehow I think John F. Kennedy was quoted that the the hottest places in hell are reserved to those who remained neutral when you needed to make a stand one way or the other. Jesus himself forces us to make a choice, a decision to be made, and with that we will fall or rise. Jesus, in effect, says, especially as the gospel moves toward the cross, he says, crown me or kill me. There's no other choice. So who... Who are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Who who, who do you say Jesus is? Remember the question to Peter and the disciples, who do people say that I am? Oh, anybody can answer that, right? And then Jesus gets really personal and says, who do you say that I am? The great divide. There's a universal offer of salvation, but there's not a universal response. You see, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ is a scandal because it involves a death. The cross, it involves the death of Jesus, but it also involves our death to our pride, to our sense that we can pull it off. It's scandalous. It requires the admission of the need to be saved. It requires us to say words that we have a hard time saying. I was wrong. I need help. I was wrong. And I need help. And secondly, not only does this song remind us that there's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. It reminds us that there is a way to be prepared to die. There is a way to be prepared before you and I and everyone still breathing kicks the bucket. So our song, our text, really asks us this question, are you prepared to die? Remember, anyone who has seen Jesus with the eyes of faith is prepared to die. Anyone, whether they're old or young, who has not seen Jesus with the eyes of faith is really not ready to die at all. So my friends, on this Lord's Day, on this day when we remember and celebrate the mystery and the Blessed good news of the incarnation. Have you transferred your trust to Jesus? In this time between the two advents of Jesus, in this time of the already and the not yet, what are we to do? We wait for what God has promised and we worship him. And while we wait and while we worship, we often come to his table where we find both the rest and the strength that we need to persevere in faith. You see, the Lord's Supper just reminds us to look to Jesus. It reminds us to look to Jesus who made this statement and asked this question. That babe that was presented at eight, at at at, who was circumcised on the eighth day and presented in the temple on his fortieth day, as he grew up and matured and was about his mission, at the time of someone's death, he said this: "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die." What a statement! What a statement, and followed immediately by a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? My friends, Christmas Day is a wonderful day to be reminded that God saw us in our distress and he sent the one person who could rescue us. He sent his son. May this day be a day of marvel and amazement, a day of thanksgiving and wonder and praise. Let's continue to sing this song and trust the one who for us and our salvation came from heaven. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do believe, but help our unbelief. Father, would you, by the powerful working of your spirit, open our eyes to see Jesus, to see him as our Lord, to see him as our Savior, to see him as our brother, to see him as our friend, to see him as the one and the only one who doesn't turn his back on his friends, who doesn't forsake us. Oh, Father, open our eyes, open our hearts to see Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. As with Simeon and Anna, you,